Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Ackland Sunday Worship Service podcast. Our opening reading is from Joshua, chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the word of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord of all the earth set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp along the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during all of harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away, at a town called Adam, in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the ways in which you bless our lives, especially for Jesus, his life, and his sacrifice for us. We pray that you will help us to trust that you will care for us, help our faith. This morning, we pray that you will open our hearts to hear your word and to grow in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. I will be reading from Psalm chapter 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Skipping down to verses 33 through 37. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and parched land into springs of water. And there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day so that we may worship you. We thank you for all of our blessings of life, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, above all else. We pray for this season that's uh, quickly changing. We pray.
pray for uh, Room in the Inn that starts very soon. We recognize that it will be quite different this year, so we pray that our uh, participation, as well as others, uh, will go smoothly with no interruption for those needing meals and places to stay during a challenging time. Also, as our national election is upon us this week, uh, in short, we pray for safety and peace, kindness, wisdom, truth, and a justice that's formed by mercy and compassion. Among those needing prayers, Father, we pray for Bonnie's dad, Ken Grubb. Um, we pray for his continued recovery so that he may get back on his feet. We pray for Mary Ann and her family and her kids. And, uh, we pray for her continued tests. We pray for her comfort and healing uh, while she patiently waits for news. We pray for all things good, Father. We pray for the comfort of the MacArthur family in the loss of Jason. Uh, he's a lifelong friend of Minya Dacklin, and we're deeply saddened and heartbroken that he's no longer with us and that we'll never see him again on this earth. We pray that you especially be with his daughter Maddie, his stepkids and his wife, Kelly. Uh, Jason's loss is just a, it's a stark reminder of a wider and similar suffering experienced by so many worldwide. And we, we pray for the healing of those suffering from the pandemic. We pray for the protection of those who are vulnerable, we, which is everyone. We pray that everyone will simply be mindful uh, of the safeguards that we need to take to help one another uh, to stop or even slow this virus. We pray, Father, that um, things will get back to normal soon. We pray that you will continue to watch over us this week that we can do our best to represent your Son. Forgive us of our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to stop the recording now and worship the Lord. Good morning, church. Today is a special day for both us and our city. It's a day that we look forward to every year. It's November 1st, the day that the overnight shelter begins with Room in the Inn. As Paul Spivey has reminded us, it will look a little different this year, but rest assured, many sisters and brothers are working really, really hard to make sure our unhoused neighbors have somewhere to go as the temperatures get cold. We won't be hosting at our facility as we've done for years, but we will be providing food and overnight volunteers at the Room in the Inn campus. So let's be in prayer for Room in the Inn, as well as others on the front lines, uh, Open Table, Nashville Rescue Mission, Safe Haven Family Shelter, government leaders, church leaders. Let's be in prayer. Um, whether it's winter or the housing crisis or COVID, these types of things always affect those on the margins quickest and hardest. So let's be in prayer for our unhoused neighbors and all of those serving them. I want to share this with you this morning. I've had an emotion welling up for a while that I've had a hard time understanding and processing. But in recent weeks, I think I've located what's going on. 
for it's a familiar feeling that I've had before. I'm experiencing a great deal of grief right now. And certainly there are many things to be grieved about. And I could offer a list perhaps, and you might have your list. But I want to specifically share one cause for the great grief in my life right now. I am deeply grieved over the reputation of the church, a reputation of hypocrisy. And I'm deeply grieved by the sin of many Christian leaders and how this has cast so much doubt on the church. I want to be clear, I'm not indicting everyone, but because of the high-profile hypocrisy of some, our collective reputation has taken a hit. What am I talking about? Let me share the first time I had this sense of grief, and it was at age 11. So most every day at that age, I read the local newspaper, and whereas I mainly focused on the sports section, on this particular day, the front page caught my eye. A woman had been murdered in a local park. She had gone there to pray and read her Bible on a beautiful sunny day. But a man, deeply in debt, attempted to kidnap her and hold her for ransom. When the kidnapping didn't go as planned, he killed her. And this rattled me, yet I was not prepared for what I read next. The article went on to report that the perpetrator served as a deacon at a local church. And I recognized the name of the church. I knew people who went to that church, and he was their deacon. I thought of the deacons at my church. Did they kidnap women? Were they capable of murder? And this deep sense of grief came over me. I mean, I grieved for the victim and her family, but I also grieved for the perpetrator and his family. I grieved for them all, and I could not process the depths of this evil. Just my brain and my heart could not compute it at that age. And I walked around for a few days in a daze. And although I knew none of them personally, that forever changed me. You see, by age 11, I already knew that bad things happened. After all, I'd experienced the death of my mother and my aunt fought cancer, which ultimately took her life. This was different, though. It wasn't that bad things happened. It was worse. It was, quote, good people, end quote, did bad things. A church deacon killed someone. This wasn't an outside job. Evil infiltrated from the inside. Wickedness came from the very people who were supposed to fight it. And it was my first experience processing hypocrisy. Perhaps you remember the first time you saw hypocrisy. It's so incredibly disillusioning. It's painful. Someone says one thing but does another. And in the aftermath, you see people shrug off the Christian faith. Oh, they're all just a bunch of hypocrites. It's painful. And it gets worse. I've got to admit it. I've been a hypocrite before. I've said one thing and done another. You probably have too. And it all makes me so sad. Earlier this year, a high-profile, outspoken leader at a Christian university had a really embarrassing fall. He'd long held a megaphone at the sins of the world. But it turns out he had some deep, troubling sins he'd been hiding for a long time. It's embarrassing. No doubt for his family, uh, the school he's associated with. But in many ways, it's embarrassing for all of us who wear the name of Christ. It hurts people. I know that people see these stories and feel suspicion. And then sometimes they turn that suspicion on me and you. 
And we may not always think it's fair, but it's real. I understand their reaction. And I feel a great sense of grief about all of this. You see, we all sin, we're all sinners, but hypocrisy is even worse because hypocrisy is secret sin that the individual refuses to repent and confess. It's not just sin, it's sin plus avoidance. And hypocrisy hurts people. It hurts the one that does it, it leaves victims, it tarnishes the reputation of Jesus and his bride, the church. And over the last 20 years, the percent of Americans that claim membership in a local church has plummeted from 70% to 50%. And one of the main reasons why is this. Hypocrisy. It hurts people. It's so incredibly sad. And currently, I'm in a pronounced state of grief over it. And our reading this week from the Gospel of Matthew reminded me of all this. Because I realized Jesus experiences grief over it too. Matthew chapter 23 verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and they put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called for rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exhausted. This is God's word. In this section of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus recounts multiple stories of the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, and Jesus makes it clear. You can listen to them, but don't follow them. They don't do themselves what they're telling you to do. They like to preach, not practice. They like to look good, not do good. They like to receive honor from humans, not God. Their religious observance centered on a public show. They wanted the applause of others. They wanted people to think highly of them. They wanted people to address them with all kinds of fancy titles. And all this translated to a type of social power. It became all about their ego and how they could control and manipulate others. This is hypocrisy. And it hurts people. It grieves Jesus. You see, hypocrisy is a false promise. You follow a leader expecting guidance, nourishment, and a credible example, but then you follow only to discover it was all empty. It reminds me of a sugar rush. <laughs> Kids, I bet many of you had one of those last night on Halloween. Maybe a few adults did as well. You eat a bunch of candy and you feel a shot of energy, but it doesn't last long. It's not sustainable, and you eventually crash. You feel worse off than before. Hypocrisy makes a promise it doesn't intend to keep, and we all end up worse than before. Over time, people get tired of it. They don't want to do it anymore. They keep their distance. 
just as I've learned not to drink two Mountain Dews and eat three Butterfingers at one sitting, right? People learn and they stay away. And this is the reputation of the Christian church in our country. Is everyone like this? Of, of course not. Um, is it fair? Eh, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. But it's reality. And it breaks my heart. When I think of a good reputation, I often go back to this conversation. It was 2008, and it was the first time that Mitt Romney ran for president. He's a practicing Mormon, and if he'd won, he would have been the first Mormon president. And there were a lot of conversations those days about Mormonism and the impact of a Mormon leader, and I'll never forget the following conversation I had with a family member. We were talking about all this, and they said, JP, I don't know a ton about Mormonism, but I know this. Every Mormon I've ever known was an incredible person. I've never had a bad experience with a Mormon. Now, maybe this has been your experience, and maybe not. And the point of that's not Mormons or Mitt Romney. Rather, it speaks to the power of a reputation. Think of it this way. Can you imagine someone saying, Christians? Hmm. I don't know everything Christians believe, but I tell you this. I've never had a bad experience with a Christian. People that go to church. Hmm. I don't know everything about people that go to church or what they do as church, but I'll tell you this. I've never had a bad experience with someone that went to church. Has that conversation been your experience? In recent years, it has not been my experience. It's hard for me to imagine that conversation. And many of you might point out the difficulty of this goal, right? There are millions of people who claim the Christian faith in this world, and billions even, and they're not all perfect. We're not all perfect. I know I get that. We're all sinners for sure, but consider this. Consider the power of a good reputation and ask yourself this. How strong is our reputation right now? Now, to be clear, if someone views me negatively because of the gospel, I'm okay with that. They didn't always think highly of Jesus because of the truth of his teaching, his life, his mission. But if someone views me poorly because of my hypocrisy, and then that reflects poorly on Jesus, that's a real problem. So what's the answer? Jesus points to three things here, and all this requires the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. First, we must practice what we preach. Do what you say you're going to do. Follow through. The things Jesus taught us, they're not suggestions. They're commands. And, and they're not a burden for sure. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But they're not optional. The Sermon on the Mount is not an elective. If you don't want to follow Jesus, don't follow. No one's making you. But know this. If you're not going to follow Jesus, please don't call yourself a Christian. It sounds harsh, but it's true. I, think I, think, I can think of times that I made Jesus look bad because I called myself a Christian, but my behavior did not live up to Christ. It made Jesus look bad, and I have so much regret over it. Second, if you want to make a great impact in this world, become a servant. If you want to be a leader, wake up every day and sacrifice your life for others. Because according to Jesus, true leadership is service. Our world does it the opposite way. Many want to become leaders so that others will serve them. And that's the path of emptiness and hypocrisy. Rather, if you want to lead, you've got to serve. Hear this. We have a world full of people looking for meaning and purpose. But you will not find meaning and purpose by accumulating titles, 
possessions, or popularity. Instead, you will find the greatest meaning and purpose by laying your life down. Let me be blunt. I don't trust leaders that don't serve. I don't trust leaders that won't get dirty. I don't trust leaders that I can tell they're so concerned about titles and honors. I just don't trust them, for the greatest leader must be the biggest servant. Third, humble yourself. As Paul says in Romans 12, 3, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. We must never forget that there is a God, and we are not that God. Never forget that you are human. Never forget that you're an imperfect sinner, and this is the foundation of humility. Take note, though, family, this is not self-loathing. You have immense value. God created you. You bear the image of God. Take confidence in the fact that Jesus came to earth to rescue you. Jesus has set you free. The God that created you deeply loves and cares for you. Be humble about the reality of who you are, but be confident in the fact that God made you and is doing great things in you. And this type of humility involves the following words. Think about these words. Confession, repentance, vulnerability, authenticity, honesty. Think about it. None of those words come up in situations of hypocrisy. Why? Because any of those words will expose hypocrisy. So to avoid hypocrisy, we must be this type of people, this type of church. Confession, repentance, vulnerability, authenticity, honesty. This is our calling. This is what we have to be about. This must be our focus. Family, despite my grief, I have great hope today because of Jesus. Because when I look at what Jesus did, he came to earth in a climate of rampant hypocrisy when the greatest government powers of the day seemed so strong and the religious reputation so low. And he came into all that and he charted a different course, a different way. And he showed us the true meaning of leadership, service, sacrifice, and purpose. Jesus had no hypocrisy. He practiced what he preached. He came to serve us by sacrificing for us. Jesus will never let us down. And if we look at the last 2,000 years, Jesus has always preserved a remnant that, while imperfect, does seek to practice what Jesus preached. And the Spirit has used that remnant to preserve the kingdom path. So family, let's commit to being a part of that remnant that minority, that will sin, but when we do, we own it and we confess it. The grief is real, but I can't wallow in it. We can't let the grief keep us down. In joy and confidence, let's step out and follow Jesus. May we hear these words of the Lord. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Please take a moment to uh, to worship God and to prepare your hearts and minds uh, for communion. 
Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, church family. Um, I've been spending some time in isolation this week because of a exposure to this uh, interesting virus, so I've had some time to do some reading. And um, part of what I've kind of, I guess, has become something that has caught my attention recently is the idea of resiliency. And um, often what you put yourself through, what you go through, what you experience in suffering or in joy, like it, it um, pushes you mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to the brink. Um, it can it constrain you and um, potentially, you know, break you. And and God, there's no one more resilient than Jesus Christ, um, who was born to be persecuted, um, to change a world that didn't want to be changed, um, to contradict and. Uh, put the people that claimed God's glory the most um, and bring them to true light and true understanding of what God was doing. And so I, I, as I learn about callousing my own mind, I recognize that part of that is the call of discipleship as well. Um, we're called to resiliency. Um, and Jesus gives us good examples, but we need God and the Spirit to um, work in us so that we can be truly strong, so we can truly work at the kingdom better. And I'm grateful to be looking to be more resilient uh, with all of you, if you would pray with me. Father, you are king, supreme. There's so much that we um, continually are learning and, and growing and fighting about you, but we know that you are ruler over all. That is certain. That nothing happens outside of your reach. That the depths of your love are unending. Father, as we are challenged in the world around us by disease and sickness, by um, politics, by stress and in regular life that can sometimes just grind us to the bone, remind us of your son's good grace and his powerful resiliency, his willingness to stay true and not waver in his faith, in his, in his purpose, um, that is to spread the, the good news, um, to bring your kingdom closer to here on earth. Father, we're honored to be a part of that. Uh, we know that we cannot mark that resiliency on our own but that you bring us 
and you give us opportunities to callous our minds, to strengthen our our resolve um, so that we can better reflect your son, Jesus, in whom we pray. Um, also, Father, that we gather each Sunday in a multitude of ways recently and uh, just as we look to remember you and your son uh, in in his sacrifice, but also his the life that he was given again, that he is the sole defeater of death, Father. You um, bless this bread and wine as where we are, as we drink it in, in communion and community uh, to see you and to see your son in whom we pray. Amen. First Thessalonians 2, 9 through 13. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for all the many ways that you bless us and continue to bless us, especially through the gift of your son who offers us forgiveness and mercy and grace. And please continue to be with us through all these new changes and we ask that you continue to give us patience and hope that there can be peace found and we ask you to please be with all those who are sick and suffering and those who are lonely please help us to reach out to them in any way that we can and be with us as we listen to JP's message and help us as we go through a new week help us to be a light to those in our community and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So thrilled to be joining you Sunday, November 1st, the first day of the holiday season. That's right. Bust out the lights. Bust out the cheery music. Bust out those smiles and that love for those around you. Continue that love by celebrating with Lake Porter, who turned 17 this week. Also, oh my, Brad and Anna Marie have 14 years together. I could use anybody's help. Text me ideas, please, ASAP. Don't mention anything to Anna Marie. Um, and uh, tomorrow, November 2nd, we're having our fasting day. I know a lot of you have already signed up. Just a reminder of the commitments that we've made. Uh, we were going to be fasting for this country. We've got a presidential election. We've got COVID. We've got schools. We've got transition here in the city. Uh, we are talking a lot at Ackland about gender roles. Um, and then we have a lot of uh, members here that are needing your prayers. So just a reminder uh, about the fasting. Another opportunity to serve is through Room at the Inn. 
we have the signups that have gone out through Paul Spivey uh, for Sunday nights where we're focusing. We are doing it a little bit different this year uh, in the sense that we are doing it at Room at the End campuses rather than at our building. Uh, so look for information on that as it's uh, evolving a little bit. Uh, but we look forward to serving with you as we serve those around us. Prayer request. Uh, we want to continue to re- remember Mary Ann. She sent some updates this week on where she's at with the cancer treatments. Uh, we're going to continue to pray with her and we're going to beat this together. We're going to beseech the Lord um, as a uh, as a great healer and the great physician. We want to pray for the MacArthur family. Uh, where Jason passed away this this past week from COVID, and we want to remember him and his family uh, and and continue to lift them up. We want to pray for Ken Grubb uh, and his continued healing from the heart attack that he suffered this past week as well. Uh, There's plenty of other things that are out there. Continue to look at your emails. Continue to reach out to those around you. And perhaps you haven't heard from somebody in a while or, or checked in. Now is a great opportunity. We've got that online directory to help keep you connected. Uh, And we've got Zoom calls every Wednesday and every Sunday. And we'd love for you to join us or continue to see your face. Uh, We say that all. And uh, we wish you a great week. Uh, Hopefully seeing you again here soon. Bye. You've been listening to 900 Ackland Avenue, the podcast for the Ackland Avenue Church of Christ. If you'd like more information about our community, our church website is http colon slash slash Thanks again for joining us. God bless.